And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. It's the Novus Ordo Watch Trapcast. You've gotta be kidding. Habemus Papa. You can't make the stuff up. You know, these days a lot of people think there's a need for artificial intelligence. Now, I don't know about you, but I think a lot could be accomplished if we could just have a little more natural intelligence. Hello and welcome friends and foes of Tratcast, the traditional Roman Catholic podcast that does not claim to be more Catholic than the Pope, only more Catholic than the anti-Pope. This is episode number 35, and we'll get right down to business. When you put together a podcast like this, you always ask yourself, what's the best topic or story to start with? And that's not always an easy decision, because if you pick the wrong thing, and people don't find it interesting or relevant to them, they might just turn off the thing altogether, and then they won't hear the rest of the podcast either. Can't really blame them. So, I'm really taking a risk here, starting with a rather sensitive subject— But it's important. The controversy regarding the consecration of the holy oils for the Society of St. Pius X at the Chrism Mass of Holy Thursday in Germany. Now, normally, that would be a non-issue. One of the SSPX bishops conducts the ceremony and the holy oils are consecrated. That's what happened, for example, here in the United States, where SSPX Bishop Alfonso de Galaretta consecrated the oils at St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary in Virginia. But in Germany, it wasn't an SSPX bishop conducting the ceremony. It was Vitas Huander, who is the former Novos Ordo Bishop of Chor, Switzerland. He retired in 2019 and decided to basically joined the SSPX, not as a member, but he decided to live at one of their houses and to collaborate with them and help them where needed. Wander had been appointed a close contact for the SSPX by Rome, by the Vatican, years prior in order to get to know them and have a better relationship with them for the purposes, you know, of dialogue and eventually getting them regularized, I guess, in the Vatican II Church. But as he was reading their material and pouring over their arguments, Huander says he became convinced that they're basically right, and so that is why he is now with them. Now, what does that have to do with the consecration of the holy oils? 
Well, the problem is that Huander was ordained a bishop in 2007 in the Novus Ordo Rite of Paul VI that was originally published in 1968. And that rite is not just doubtful, but certainly invalid. Which means that he who has consecrated a bishop in that rite does not actually become a bishop. Despite appearances, the sacrament is not conferred. And we'll talk about the the issues with the validity of that rite a bit later. What that means is that Wander is not a bishop, but remains what he was before, a mere layman or perhaps a priest. He was ordained in the doubtful Novus Ordo rite for the priesthood in 1971. So, When the SSPX announced on its German seminary calendar that the consecration of the holy oils would be presided over by Bishop Wander, that was cause for alarm. For the first time ever, at least to my knowledge, the SSPX allowed a Novus Ordo prelate to consecrate the holy oils. Now, you might say, what's the big deal? The holy oils are only sacramentals and not sacraments, So, even if they're not validly consecrated, what is the problem? Well, the problem is that at least two of the three types of oil that are consecrated during the Chrism Mass of Holy Thursday are part of the necessary matter of the sacraments of confirmation and extreme unction, respectively. And anyone can look this up in any pre-Vatican II treatment of the sacraments. Let me quote from Father Nicholas Halligan, from his book, The Administration of the Sacraments, page 84. He is uh, speaking of confirmation here. Quote, The matter of this sacrament is chrism, or olive oil mixed with balsam, which is consecrated by a bishop on the last preceding Holy Thursday, and with which by an imposition of the hand the forehead is anointed in the form of a cross. This chrism must be used and in the way prescribed even by a simple priest who legitimately confirms. It is necessary for validity that the matter used be pure olive oil mixed with balsam. When the amount of chrism is too far diminished, other olive oil should be added to it, even repeatedly, but in a lesser quantity." It is never allowed to administer confirmation without chrism or to receive the chrism from heretical or schismatical bishops. The making of the sign of the cross while anointing with the chrism is necessary for validity. No instrument may be employed in the anointing, but the right hand itself, four fingers, is directly laid on the head and the anointing made with the right thumb. To use any finger, even of the left hand, other than the right thumb in the anointing, without justifying cause, would be a venial sin, but not invalidating. Validity requires only the imposition of the hand, which accompanies the unction, and not the extension of the hands at the beginning or end of the ceremony. Unquote. I've deliberately quoted everything he wrote on the matter of confirmation, including a lot of detail that isn't directly relevant to the Wander controversy. And the reason I did that is to demonstrate how seriously 
the church considers these details that are necessary for or that help safeguard validity. And we'll return to that later. Next, let me quote Father Halligan regarding the matter of the sacrament of extreme unction. In the Novus Ordo, it's called anointing of the sick. It's last rites is what we're talking about. Before I do that, though, let me just explain what the three types of oil are, or rather what they're called, because this is going to be relevant now for extreme unction. So we already heard about sacred chrism, which is used in confirmation. It's also used in baptism, for example, and in Episcopal consecration, but there it's not necessary for validity. Next, there is what's called the oil of catechumens, and then there's the oil of the infirm, or oil of the sick. And with that, let's listen now to Father Halligan explain what is the necessary valid matter for the sacrament of extreme unction. Quote, The valid matter of extreme unction is olive oil duly blessed for this purpose by a bishop or by a priest who has obtained the faculty to do so, from the Apostolic See. Even in the case of necessity, this blessed oil must be used, although for lawfulness it must be pure, and admixture of extraneous matter renders it invalid if it is no longer olive oil. If the supply of blessed oil, oil of the infirm, becomes too diminished, other olive oil may be added even repeatedly but in a lesser quantity. Although it is not certain that the oil of the infirm alone renders the administration of extreme unction valid, in practice and outside of necessity, the proper oil of the sacrament is to be used. In the case of necessity, and in the absence of the proper oil, the oil of the infirm, another sacred oil, oil of catechumens or sacred chrism, may be employed under a condition but the sacrament must be later conditionally repeated with the proper oil. Unquote. Again, this is from The Administration of the Sacraments by Father Nicholas Halligan, and uh, this was just from page 344. And a link to this book is available in the show notes. Just go to tradcast.org and scroll down to Tradcast 35, click on that link, and that will get you to the show notes. So again, we see just how much care the church insists upon to ensure that a sacrament is administered validly. The church is very meticulous in that matter. And here we're talking about extreme unction, which is extremely important for persevering in grace until death, which very often is imminent for those who receive extreme unction. So, with all of that, it's pretty clear what's at stake here. Confirmation and extreme unction are the two sacraments that require oils consecrated by a valid bishop for their valid administration. That means that, for example, if Bishop Bernard Fillet, who is a valid bishop, were to confirm someone with invalid chrism, the sacrament of confirmation would not be conferred. The person would not be confirmed. Likewise, if a valid priest, heck, even if Pope St. Pius X himself 
were to come back from the dead and administer extreme unction to you and use invalid oil, the sacrament would not be conferred. And what makes this even scarier is that it's going to be difficult to know exactly how and where these holy oils of the false bishop Vitus Wander get distributed, right? Where they end up, where they will actually be used. Because the SSPX is probably not going to volunteer that information. Just as they tried to hide as much as possible the fact that it was Wander who did the Chrism Mass in Zeitzkofen in Germany on April 6th. Yeah, that was really interesting. They did announce it beforehand in their liturgical calendar, <laughs> maybe by mistake, but in everything else, they avoided mentioning Wander or showing his face like the plague. On the website of the SSPX German district, they published 19 photos of the Chrism Mass and Holy Oil Ceremony, and in not a single one of them can you see the face of Vitus Wander. Either Wander is not visible at all, or you can only see him from behind and not identify him, or you can only see his hands, or he is so far away that you cannot possibly recognize him. It is remarkable that in 19 photos, they made sure you cannot tell who the bishop is in a single one of them, not even in the group photo that was taken after the ceremony. They show three group shots, and not one of them is taken from the front. They're all either uh, from the side or from the back. So it's very noticeable that they were trying hard not to reveal the identity of the bishop. And also, in the little news article that accompanied the release of the photos in which they speak about the chrism mass, there is complete silence about the identity of the bishop, or pseudo-bishop. And lastly, the SSPX YouTube channel for the German-speaking world released no video of the ceremony, and there was no live stream either. But yes, it was Wander. And in fact, somehow, one picture got leaked showing Wander standing there. And that was later posted at a Spanish-speaking Sede Vacantes blog. Of course, I'll include the link in the show notes. Folks, I think it's very suspicious that the SSPX is not being upfront about this. Now, I'm sure that from their perspective, they're thinking... Look, let's not cause unnecessary controversy. A lot of people are going to be upset, even though there's technically nothing to be upset about. Let's just kind of hide who the celebrant was, and uh, let's just wait for this thing to blow over. That's probably how they justified it before their own consciences. I don't know. Now, you might ask, well, why should they want to hide that from their own people if the SSPX accepts Novus Ordo ordinations as valid, and that is their public position, then why would that disturb any of their people? Well, because, you see, the SSPX didn't always accept Novus Ordo Episcopal consecrations as certainly valid. That didn't happen until late 2005, when faced with the question of whether the newly elected Benedict XVI who had been made a bishop in the Novus Ordo rite back in 1977, whether that man was even a valid bishop. Can you imagine 
what situation the SSPX would have found itself in with regard to the Vatican if they had acknowledged Benedict XVI, Joseph Ratzinger, as a valid pope but not a valid bishop. That would have poisoned the relationship between the Lefebvres and the new pope from the get-go, and they would probably be light years away right now from any kind of concession or regularization. So, clearly, they had a conflict of interest. They really needed those Novus Ordo bishops to be valid. Now, I want to be fair here and acknowledge that this conflict of interest alone is not enough to say that, therefore, they couldn't possibly have come across objective evidence showing that the Novus Ordo ordinations are valid after all. I'm not saying that they're in bad faith about this, or forced a preconceived desirable conclusion. I have no evidence of that. What I am saying, though, is that this sudden discovery that Novus Ordo bishops are valid sure came in handy for them in 2005. Ratzinger was elected Benedict XVI in April of 2005, and the Angelus, the official magazine of the SSPX United States District, published the first of two parts of a new study of the 1968 rite of Novus Ordo Bishop's ordinations in December of that year, and part two was published in January of 2006. The author was not an SSPX priest, but one of the recognize and resist Dominicans of Avrier, France, by the name of Father Pierre-Marie. The original in French had been published in the fall of 2005, and so the Angelus published an English translation shortly after that. So, denying or doubting the validity of Novus Ordo Rite Episcopal Consecrations is not something exclusive to Sede Vacantis. So, don't say that this controversy is just Sede Vacantis trying to beat up on the SSPX until circumstances forced them into making a decision either way, the SSPX happily acknowledged that the validity was questionable, and that included initially Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre himself, the founder of the Society of St. Pius X. Now, I'm not saying that everyone in the SSPX considered the Novus Ordo bishops invalid until 2005. Some did, some didn't. The point is, it was a contested issue, and to this day, not every Lefebvreist is convinced that the Novus Ordo rite is valid. For example, take Bishop Bernard Tissier de Malloray. As recently as June 29, 2016, he said in an ordination sermon, and this is a quote, Obviously, we cannot accept this new tampered with ordination rite, which casts doubts on the validity of numerous ordinations done according to the new rite. Unquote. Now, that was in reference to priestly ordination, but I imagine that if he doubts the validity of the priestly ordinations done in the Novus Ordo rite, then he will doubt Episcopal consecrations all the more because the problems with that rite are much greater. In fact, what do you know? In a letter dated August 12, 1998, in response to someone who had sent him material by Dr. Rama Kumaraswamy on the subject, Bishop Tissier 
responded as follows. Quote, After reading it quickly, I concluded there was doubt about the validity of Episcopal consecration conferred according to the rite of Paul VI. The phrase Spiritum Principalum, governing spirit, in the form introduced by Paul VI is not sufficiently clear in itself, and the accessory rites do not specify its meaning in a Catholic sense. Unquote. You can find a, a scan of this letter with a translation in the show notes. So that was 1998. Interestingly enough, back then the Society of St. Pius X also had a case similar to that of Bishop Wander now, in that a Novus Ordo bishop from the Philippines had decided to join the society, or at least work with them and pretty much adopt their recognize and resist position. And that was Salvador Lazo Lazo, who died in 2000. He was the retired ordinary of San Fernando de la Union in the Philippines. His Episcopal consecration had also taken place in the New Rite, and that was on February 3, 1970. In May of 1998, just as the 10th anniversary of Archbishop Lefebvre's consecration of the four SSPX bishops was looming, Bishop Lazo wrote a declaration of faith that he sent to the false Pope John Paul II, in which he basically declared himself a traditionalist and rejected ecumenism, the new mass, and so on. And you can find a copy of this declaration linked in the show notes also. So it was a situation very similar to that of today with Vetus Wander. And now it gets interesting, because now we ask, how did the SSPX act back then, considering that Lazo was a Novus Ordo bishop? Quite simply, they did not want him to ordain or confirm, because they believed the Novus Ordo rite of Episcopal consecration promulgated by Paul VI in 1968 to be invalid or at least doubtful. And Bishop Tissier, in the letter I quoted from a few minutes ago, specifically stated, quote, As regards Monsignor Lazo, it would be difficult for us to explain these things to him. The only solution is not to ask him to confirm or ordain, unquote. And so we see with concrete examples that holding bishops ordained in the Novus Ordo Rite to be invalid is not something only Sedevacanists do. It's something many recognize and resist traditionalists also held many years ago, mostly before 2005. Another point I should make is that there are SSPX resistance priests, those priests who left the SSPX or were kicked out basically because the SSPX was no longer SSPX enough for them, some of them have spoken out publicly against the society allowing Bishop Wander to celebrate the Chrism Mass and attempt to consecrate the Holy Oils. And uh, among them are, for example, a certain Father Rousseau and a Father Pinot, uh, who are both former SSPX priests who are now with the resistance. 
So again, nobody can say that this is just Sedevacanus trying to stir the pot. Now, when I brought up this issue of the Wander Chrism mass tragedy on Twitter, I was appalled at some of the reactions I was getting from supposed traditional Catholics. Some of them were rather quick to dismiss the concern about sacramental validity. I remember one person suggesting that the church supplies. No, the church does not supply. The church can, and sometimes does, supply missing jurisdiction for certain acts, but never does the church supply for a lack of proper matter or form of a sacrament, or for missing holy orders. You might as well believe that a layman can offer Mass, and if the people aren't aware he's a layman, then it's a valid Mass anyway, because, oh, the church supplies. No, that's not how it works. You will not find that in church law or in Catholic teaching. Others treated the concerns about the validity of the holy oils consecrated by Wander almost as if it were a kind of pharisaical legalism, as if, in the end, it didn't really matter if the holy oils were validly consecrated because, well, you know, God isn't bound by the sacraments, and God can make it valid anyway, or God will just supply the sacramental grace anyway. It's insane. I think it's even a kind of blasphemy because it's essentially tempting God because you're presuming that God will basically work a miracle when he has not at all promised that he would do that. See, God has promised, for example, that he will transubstantiate bread and wine into his body and blood when a valid priest pronounces the right words with the right intention. That he has promised, but he has not promised, for example, that he will grant the graces that would come through the sacrament of extreme unction when the sacrament is not validly administered. Now, he may do so, perhaps, in an individual case, out of his pure goodness and mercy, or he may not. That is totally up to God. He certainly has not promised that he will. And so it is presumptuous to sit there and say, oh, well, even if the holy oils are invalid, God will take care of it. He'll make sure that everything will be all right for those who don't know better. That that is just not Catholic teaching. Remember the words of Father Halligan that I quoted earlier? All the details he mentioned to ensure sacramental validity. Well, with that flippant of an attitude, as I saw on Twitter from people who consider themselves traditional Catholics, not even realizing how much they've been influenced by modernism on this, with that dismissive of an attitude, why Father Halligan and all the church's sacramental theologians must have been scrupulous Pharisees or complete idiots. But God isn't bound by the sacraments. Yes, that's true, but it misses the point. The dying sinner doesn't have a right to God's mercy and forgiveness. That's a grace we don't deserve and cannot merit. Look, if you're a farmer and you plant crops, 
you know those crops won't grow without sufficient rain. But then God isn't bound by the weather, is he? No, he doesn't need rain to make the crops grow, right? He could just work a miracle and have them grow without rain. That is true. But it is not in accordance with the ordinary course of providence. God expects us to act in accordance with the laws of nature which he made. See, God can feed you miraculously. There's no question about that. But he has not promised to. If you decide to be reckless and not eat anymore, well, God is not going to work a miracle to keep you from starving. So, this is not a question of God's power It is a question of God's providence. It is not a question of what God can do, but of what he will do. So, it's simply scandalous to take such a carefree attitude to something so serious as the validity of sacraments, especially sacraments for the dying, whose judgment by God is imminent. People who take such a serious matter so lightly are not trusting in God They're tempting God. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a Lefebvreist. I have nothing to do with the Society of St. Pius X, so what do I care? Well, not so fast. First of all, you should care about the salvation of your fellow man regardless. But secondly, even beyond that, the issue may very well impact you at some point also. Because maybe one day, through some circumstance, an SSPX priest will be anointing you as you lie dying or someone you love. So this is a matter that could potentially concern anyone. To sum up, we're not accusing the SSPX of being inconsistent. If they accept the Novus Ordo ordinations as valid, as they do, then it makes sense that they would allow Vetus Wander to consecrate their holy oils. The problem, rather, is, first, that the SSPX is wrong in accepting the 1968 rite of ordination, and even if they are sincere in their error, sincerity cannot make an invalid sacrament valid. And second, they are not forthcoming about who offered the Chrism Mass on April 6th. They have tried to hide the fact that Vitas Wander was involved. So, whether in Germany or any other countries those oils may end up being used in, whoever receives confirmation or last rites with these oils will always be left wandering. All right, I know this has been pretty lengthy and rather dry and perhaps a little tedious, And so, let's get into some lighter stuff now. Actually, before we do that, yes, I know we still need to explain just what the problem with the 1968 rite of Episcopal consecration is, why we say it's invalid. But we'll do that later in this program because it's also quite technical, and I think right now we need to change gears a little. And, um, hey, why not go through some quick recent news stories you may have missed. On May 8th, 2023, the Argentinian apostate Jorge Bergoglio, stage name Pope Francis, 
said the following during an audience with religious of the Congregation of the Holy Ghost. After quoting something from the prophet Isaiah, he said, quote, When I hear this, I am reminded of God's hand caressing, caressing the people, caressing each of you, the tender God who always caresses, unquote. Well, no, there, there's no commentary needed here. Right? He's got this weird obsession with the words caress and tenderness. And he uses them all the time and in ways that don't really make sense or where the words just don't fit. It's like when in 2017, he told participants in a TED conference that there needs to be a revolution of tenderness. And I think what he usually means by that word tenderness is corporal works of mercy as part of the love of neighbor. But of course, he could just say that if that's what he means, right? Instead, he blathers on incessantly about tenderness. Normal people just don't talk like that. But tenderness is only one of his weird words. Another one, as we've seen, is caress. On February 27th, 2021, during one of his bazillion interviews, Francis was asked by a journalist, quote, You told me several times about your neuroses. How conscious are you of them? Unquote. And this is what Bergoglio answered. Quote, Neuroses need to be fed with mate. Mate is a tea that they drink down there in Argentina. Neuroses need to be fed with mate. Not only that, they must also be caressed. They are a person's companion throughout his life. I remember once reading a book that interested me a lot and made me laugh out loud. Its title was Rejoice in Being Neurotic, unquote. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we should just leave it at that, right? Because I, I guess it explains a lot. Unfortunately, though, I still have more from Francis, and I can't not share it with you. Oh, you know what? We forgot our little Jorge Bergoglio jingle. One second, I'm embarrassed. Here it is. From the Jorge's mouth. <laughs> yep, it's all straight from the Jorge's mouth. So here's another one. On May 4th, 2023, Bergoglio gave an address to participants in a conference of the Organization of Catholic Universities of Latin America and the Caribbean. In it, the papal pretender said this, quote, Perhaps the mission of the university is to prepare social choreographers, men and women who envision in the people a dance. A dance where everyone contributes to the grace of total movement and no one is excluded. Unquote. 
Yeah, sorry, I had to do that to you. I was thinking, you know, why should only I suffer when reading this stuff? But but no, he really said that. And I used a computerized translation here because the Vatican has not yet released an official English translation as of the time of this recording. Okay, so only Italian and the original Spanish. But by the time you listen to this podcast, they may have the official English version up. And so uh, the wording that they use then might be slightly different, but in essence, it'll be the same crazy message. And hey, maybe we should be grateful that the Vatican has actually even reported these words. Because you see, at this point, Francis talks so much garbage that not everything gets transcribed or reported anymore. And I'm not kidding. On April 26th, the longtime Vatican journalist Sandro Magister published a post on his blog entitled Francis the Communicator with a press office all his own at Santa Marta. In it, Magister describes Francis's magisterium as, quote, that gigantic and disorderly archive of spoken and written words, unquote, that come from the lips of Jorge Mario Bergoglio. And he goes on to say that the Bergoglian magisterium, quote, has it all and too much, to the point that the clerks charged with recording his speeches have for some time found themselves having to trim and remove at least some excesses, scurrilous expressions, gutter talk, unquote. Yeah, don't you hate it when that happens, right? You're a clerk hired to record the august words of the Holy Father. And then you're like, what? I can't write that. But, of course, we live in an age of ubiquitous recording devices and media coverage. So whatever he says will eventually get out one way or another. But let's be honest. Those words of Francis that are officially reported by the Vatican are bad enough. For example, yes, we are definitely not short on concrete examples here. Let's rewind to April 6th, 2023, which was Holy Thursday, same day as Vetus Wander's attempt at consecrating holy oils. And Francis, as usual, washed the feet, not of priests as he should, but basically of everyone else. Right? This time it was juvenile prisoners again, and he gave them a sermon that was mercifully short at least, but filled with Lutheranism or some other heresy, at least not Catholicism. In fact, he very seriously misled the young prisoners he preached to. He must hate them, considering what he said and didn't say. He once again preached forgiveness without repentance, without contrition. Read the homily yourself and notice that although he preaches salvation and forgiveness through Christ, repentance or contrition are not mentioned as a condition. He essentially tells the poor prisoners that there is nothing they need to do to be forgiven by God. He tells them, in fact, and this is a quote now, that God, quote, loves us just like we are. Jesus is never shocked at our weaknesses. 
He is never astonished because he has already paid. He just wants to accompany us. He wants to take us by the hand so that life won't be so harsh for us. Unquote. That is what Jorge Bergoglio preaches to criminals in a prison. Instead of gently leading them to repentance, he tells them there is nothing they need to worry about, nothing they need to be ashamed of, everything is already forgiven, they're just fine the way they are, and all God wants now is to make life easier for them. You have got to be kidding. How much more twisted can it get? That is such a perversion of the true gospel of Christ. Yes, God loves them and wants to forgive them. Of course, nothing is lost. They can still attain the ultimate happiness, the ultimate reason for their existence, which is the beatific vision, eternal happiness in heaven. But they need to prepare for justification. To get right with God, they need to have supernatural contrition. They need to be willing to do penance. They need to be willing to make restitution, if applicable. And like any other Christian, they will need to take up their cross and follow the Lord Jesus because only the way of the cross will lead to eternal salvation. See, Francis could have just told them that, in a nicer way perhaps, but his obligation would have been to communicate that in essence, because that and that alone is the gospel, and not this incessant drivel about accompaniment and unconditional love and tender caresses and all that jazz. What he said to those kids in prison is actually similar to what he said on August 18th, 2021 at his Wednesday audience, when he said that we must observe the Ten Commandments not in order to be justified, but, quote, as an aid to the encounter with Jesus Christ, unquote. Well, that's the new theology for you. Smart-sounding drivel that has no clear meaning, but accomplishes its purpose, which is to subvert the true doctrine and cause great confusion. And if someone accuses you of heresy, you can always say, well, that's not what I meant. Anyway, going back to that prison homily, Francis also blathered about the dignity of being sinners. Yeah, that's a new one even for him, I think. And it reminds me of when a few years back he spoke of the Holy Eucharist, not as the bread of angels, but as the bread of sinners. See, and there we go again, that wording, bread of sinners, suggests that it should, or at least can be received in the state of mortal sin. But at the same time, there is just enough wiggle room to where a Jimmy Akin or a Tim Staples or some other Novus Ordo apologist can say, no, we, we have to interpret this in an orthodox way, and, you know, we're all sinners, and, and he just means that it's for sinners to become holy. Yeah, well, you can, of course, spin it that way, but it is spin, and everyone else will get the intended message, that by putting it that way, bread of sinners, which is not a traditional name for the Holy Eucharist, 
Francis is hinting at his approval of sacrilegious communions. I mean, that's obvious. Because if he must use the term bread, which, of course, has to be understood in a metaphorical sense, because it's not bread, it's the body and blood of Christ. But if he must use the term bread, then he ought to use the term holy bread of eternal life, which is found in the canon of the Roman Mass, or the term bread of angels. Wouldn't that have been something to say to the juvenile prisoners? The Lord Jesus wants to give you his very own body and blood to consume under the appearance of bread. But before you can receive this bread of angels, this holy bread of eternal life, remember how pure your soul should be. And that purity of soul is available to you through the sacraments of baptism and penance. That would have been orthodox and edifying. But instead, he says nothing of repentance and just blathers about dignity and all is well and we're all sinners. It's despicable. You know what? Let's take a break before I blow a gasket here. We're way overdue anyway, and uh, on the other side, we'll have lots more Trapcast. Trapcast. Hope you are enjoying the sample of the motet Felix Nanquies from the album Sacred Choral Music by Nicholas Wilton, sung by the acclaimed English choir Magnificat. If you appreciate such sacred choral music, please support the traditional Catholic composer Nicholas Wilton by buying a copy of his CD or purchasing downloads of individual tracks from fourmarksmusic.com. That is F-O-U-R-M-A-R-K-S-M-U-S-I-C.com or his website catholicmusic.co.uk. There is more information and also a new CD of his piano music available on those websites. It's not just a podcast. It's a trap cast. Welcome back to the second portion of Tradcast 35, where we clean out the theological sewer of the Vatican II Church. It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know 
that water creates sublime communion with God. Well, if you had been reading Vatican News, you would have known it. On February 14, 2023, a news article was published there reporting on the words of Jackie Remond, of co-founder of the Laudato Si movement. And yeah, you probably didn't realize this, but according to Remond, quote, we're called to be in close relationship or kinship with water, unquote. I don't know about you, but personally, I prefer that uh, communion with the forest deal that uh, Francis talks about in his post-synodal exhortation, Corita Amazonia, paragraph 56. He writes there, quote, If we enter into communion with the forest, our voices will easily blend with its own and become a prayer. Unquote. Hey, I'm just reporting what it says, right? Don't blame me. But back to the water thing. Remen says, quote, When we're polluting this gift of water, we're actually despoiling and diminishing the presence and the power, if you like, of the spirituality of God for us, unquote. Um, <laughs> you know, clean water is important, right? I think we can all agree on that. It's necessary for life. We obviously need to fight the pollution of our water. But these people are making a religion out of it. And, you know, I'm starting to think that what this whole Laudato Si movement is about, and we discussed its apostasy in Tratcast Express number 172, if you remember, I think they're slowly trying to introduce Hinduism into souls. And don't think I'm exaggerating, because it was the Indian eco-feminist Vandana Shiva, and she's someone who would know, who said that when she read Bergoglio's encyclical Laudato Si, she felt like she was reading one of the ancient Hindu scriptures. It's unbelievable. I included the link to that in the show notes at uh, tradcast.org. Just scroll to episode Tradcast 35. Anyway, Jackie Remond, to go back to the Vatican News article, wants us to hear the cry of water and the songs of water as well. And I have to say, there are so many cries everywhere now, you can't hear a thing anymore. Everyone and everything is crying, right? The earth, the poor, the oppressed, women, the Amazon, the oceans, water in general, probably outer space as well by now. And then, of course, on top of that, Bergoglio is always talking, too. I mean, I give up. Actually, may I make a suggestion? The only cry we should really be concerned about, and it's funny, but we never hear about that one from the Vatican, the only cry we should be concerned about first and foremost, and above all others, is the cry of the crucified Christ. And if we do that, all of these other cries will take care of themselves. In other news, a Jewish rabbi gave the last blessing during a Novus Ordo Mass in Colombia 
on April 6th, 2023. Funny, we keep running into that date. Well, it was Holy Thursday, as you know, and in the Vatican II religion, there is a widespread belief that the people who adhere to present-day Judaism are the people of the Old Covenant and that the Mosaic Law is salvific for them. That is apostasy. That is a complete denial of the coming of Christ and the New Covenant. Anyway, there is video available of that rabbi giving his blessing at the end of the Novus Ordo Mass, and there is also an accompanying blog post written in Spanish, but I'll link it, and if anything, you may have to use a computer to translate it. Pope Benedict XIV was rather clear in his 1756 encyclical Ex Quo when he said, quote, The ceremonies of the Mosaic Law were abrogated by the coming of Christ and can no longer be observed without sin after the promulgation of the gospel, unquote. End of story, right? That was paragraph 61 of the encyclical Ex Quo. The chosen people are now the Catholics, not the Jews. And anyone can now be, and in fact is exhorted to be, a part of this chosen people of the new covenant by joining the Catholic Church. The gospel is really not that difficult. All right, last topic for today, as promised, an overview of why not just Sede Vacantis, but also some recognize and resist traditionalists hold that the right of Episcopal consecration or bishop's ordination promulgated by Paul VI on June 18, 1968, is invalid. Or, if we want to be a bit more accommodating, perhaps, of sufficiently doubtful validity, such that it must be treated as invalid in practice. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I want to keep this brief and easy to understand, so it'll be more like a bird's eye view of the subject. And so first, let's remember that you can never prove a sacrament to be valid. You can possibly prove it invalid. For example, if you can prove that the priest didn't baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, but in the name of the celebrating community or something like that, that would be evidence that the sacrament was invalid. But you cannot prove a sacrament valid. The best you can do is prove that all the necessary elements were in place for the sacrament to be presumed valid. But it is just a presumption in every single case because the internal intention to do what the church does must always be present in the minister, and that is something that cannot be verified externally. It can only be presumed. That's why Father Halligan, in the administration of the sacraments, can write on page 23, quote, Every sacrament may be possibly invalid or valid, unquote. So, we cannot have perfect, absolute, infallible certainty that a particular sacrament is valid. But that's okay, 
because that is not some sort of defect in Catholic theology. It is rather how God has established things for his church. A greater certitude than that is not possible and not necessary. It is how God has designed it and how God wills it. All right, so that just as a preliminary consideration. Nevertheless, just because we cannot ever have absolute certitude doesn't mean we can't have any or that we don't need any. In fact, before we're allowed to receive a sacrament, we must have moral certitude that it's valid. And ordinarily, that means we must be so certain of its validity that every prudent doubt is excluded. Not absolutely every doubt, but every prudent doubt. And then, of course, moral theology defines what is and isn't a prudent doubt, but we don't need to get into that now, uh, since this is just supposed to be an overview. So, the question is, can we have that kind of moral certitude beyond prudent doubt with regard to the validity of Paul VI's right of Episcopal consecration? And the answer is definitely not. So let me explain. The reason why the Novus Ordo rite of Episcopal consecration is invalid, or at least prudently doubtful, has to do exclusively with the form of the sacrament. Remember, every sacrament consists of matter and form. In baptism, for example, the matter is the water being poured over the head, and the form is the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost. And those words need to be said while the water is being poured. In the ordination of a bishop, the matter is the laying on of hands on the head of the man being ordained, and the form is the prayer of consecration. Now, in 1947, Pope Pius XII specified what words in that prayer of consecration are necessary for validity, and those words have since been replaced by Paul VI with completely different words. Of course, those who believe that Paul VI was a true pope may not care too much. They will say that, well, since the words for holy orders were not given us by Christ, unlike for baptism, whatever words one pope establishes as necessary for validity those can be changed by a subsequent pope into different words. Okay, let's grant that. I'm not entirely sure it's that simple, but let's accept that for the sake of argument. There are still two further problems. Number one, this makes the entire argument dependent on Paul VI having been a true pope. So even if people think he was, if they're wrong about that, the whole argument collapses. And number two, although different words could be used that express the same thing as the words decreed by Pius XII, nevertheless, the words prescribed by Paul VI do not express even that. Let me explain. Even if the words are changeable, it's obvious they cannot just be changed into whatever. Right? You can't say that from now on the words of the prayer for the ordination of a bishop are going to be, uh, please tie your shoes, or this man will now be a cook, or may God bless you. Right? 
There is nothing in these words that even remotely says anything about the consecration of a bishop. So, what then is the minimum necessary? What does the form of the sacrament need to express? Well, according to Pope Pius XII's Apostolic Constitution Sacramentum Ordinis, number three, quote, the sacraments of the new law as sensible signs which produce invisible grace must both signify the grace which they produce and produce the grace which they signify, unquote. Then the Pope continues and says that the matter of all three degrees of the sacrament of holy orders, deacon, priest, and bishop, is the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands by itself is not determinate enough, meaning it is used for all three degrees and also, by the way, for confirmation. Right? So, by itself, the imposition of hands is not clear enough. It doesn't sufficiently signify the grace of the sacrament. It doesn't sufficiently indicate what is actually taking place. So, that's where the form comes in, the prayer of ordination, which, of course, is a different one for each of the different degrees, right? There's one for deacon, and then there's a different one for priest, and yet another one for bishop. Going back to Sacramentum Ordinis, Pius XII says, quote, the form, and the only form, is the words which determine the application of this matter, meaning the imposition of hands, which univocally signify the sacramental effects, namely the power of order and the grace of the Holy Spirit, and which are accepted and used by the Church in that sense. Unquote. That's uh, paragraph four of Sacramentum Ordinis. So, the words must signify univocally or univocally. That is, they must reflect without ambiguity what is taking place. And they must be the words accepted and used by the church for that. So you cannot just substitute your own words instead. So basically, the ordination prayer must ask God to send the Holy Ghost to make the person being ordained into a bishop. And the prayer instituted by Paul VI doesn't do that. That is the issue. The traditional prayer, the one declared to be necessary for validity by Pius XII, is this one. Quote, Perfect in thy priest the fullness of thy ministry, and clothing him in all the ornaments of spiritual glorification, sanctify him with a heavenly anointing. Unquote. And that is from Sacramentum Ordinis, paragraph 5. Now, this may sound a bit obscure at first because it's so poetic, but you can see that since it speaks about a priest receiving the fullness of God's ministry, that can only be the episcopacy. Because there's only one degree of holy orders that's higher than the priest. The bishop has the fullness of ordination. And that is also what the church understands by the words, all the ornaments of spiritual glorification. So, the power of order, the episcopacy, is clearly expressed. And so is the grace of the Holy Ghost, because the prayer says, sanctify him with the heavenly anointing. And the heavenly anointing is, of course, the sacramental grace. So, that's the traditional prayer. 
But then came Paul VI, one of the impostors, and he changed the traditional prayer into this, quote, So now pour out upon this chosen one that power which is from you, the governing spirit whom you gave to your beloved son Jesus Christ, the spirit given him to the holy apostles, who founded the church in every place to be your temple for the unceasing glory and praise of your name. Unquote. This prayer speaks about a governing spirit who is to be poured out upon the person. Okay, fine. Countless hours have been used arguing about who or what that governing spirit is. Now, let's just agree, at least for the sake of argument, that it's the Holy Ghost. Let's just grant that. The main problem that I see here is that even though the Holy Spirit is being invoked, it is not expressed what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. Pius XII said the prayer must express the power of order and the grace of the Holy Ghost. Where is the power of order? Let's read it again. So now pour out upon this chosen one, the one being ordained, that power which is from you, okay, so it's talking about a power from God, the governing spirit, okay, we've already said let's agree that it's the Holy Ghost, whom you gave to your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the Spirit given by him to the holy apostles, who founded the church in every place to be your temple for the unceasing glory and praise of your name. All right, so the prayer asks God the Father to pour out the Holy Ghost, or at least that governing Spirit, but to do what? To what end? We're not told. The Holy Ghost, you got to remember, is poured out also in baptism, in confirmation, and in the ordinations of deacons and priests, for example. So the mere fact that God is being asked to pour out the Holy Spirit cannot be sufficient for validity for an Episcopal consecration, just as the laying on of hands by itself means nothing definite, right? It's indeterminate. So this prayer too is indeterminate. It does not, without ambiguity, express the sacrament that is supposedly being confected. Now, some will say, wait a minute, it's talking about the governing spirit, and that means episcopacy because the bishop governs his flock. But that argument fails on two counts, on three actually. First, the governing spirit, and that phrase is, by the way, a hapless translation of the Latin spiritum principalem. There's long been a controversy about what that term actually means or how it should be translated. The German equivalent is vorzüglicher Geist, which translates as exquisite spirit or noble spirit or excellent spirit. Nothing there about governing. Another English translation I've seen renders it as guiding spirit. But governing or not, the adjective merely determines the noun. It describes the spirit, not the man being ordained or the power being conferred. And then, not every bishop governs a flock anyway. Diocesan bishops do, but not titular bishops, not auxiliary bishops, and not retired bishops. Besides, the assignment over a flock and the necessary jurisdiction for that are given with the canonical appointment. They do not come with ordination, 
but with an office being conferred. So that argument, too, falls flat. But then what about the part of the prayer that says of the Spirit, whom you gave to your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the Spirit given by him to the holy apostles? Well, that's a lot of words, but all they do is describe that Spirit further. There's still nothing there about what that Spirit is being asked to do. But, some will say, it says the Spirit given by him to the holy apostles who founded the church in every place to be your temple for the unceasing glory and praise of your name. Yes, that's true. And it's simply talking about the holy apostles and what they did. It still doesn't say, much less without ambiguity, what the Spirit is supposed to do or what power of order is being conferred. That the apostles founded the church in every place is one thing. But that says nothing about what is happening to the man over whom that prayer is being prayed. In the end, what we're left with in the Novus Ordo rite of Episcopal consecration is a prayer that, at best, asks God to send down the Holy Spirit upon a particular person, but without specifying what for. And since that does not express the power of order, and possibly not even the grace of the Holy Ghost, it does not signify unambiguously the grace of the sacrament and therefore must be considered invalid. Now, I know there are a ton of objections that can be made and that have been made, but as we said in this podcast, we're just going to provide an overview, so I just wanted to cover the basic arguments so that people understand what all this fuss is about. And I know all of these things can be difficult, they can be tedious and frustrating, but they matter. And that is why, for decades, a lot of people, both inside and outside of the Society of St. Pius X, have not accepted Novus Ordo bishops as certainly valid, as valid beyond prudent doubt. And so, please don't fall into the trap of thinking that Whoever now questions Vetus Wander's holy oils just hates the society or hates Bishop Wander or just wants to cause trouble. That's a very emotional reaction to what is actually a rather cerebral matter. Remember the words of our Lord to St. Peter in Matthew 16:19: Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Pope Pius XII bound the Church to the words he specified as being the form of the sacrament of holy orders and necessary for validity. Even if you think that Paul VI was a true Pope, will you really say that although he gave you Vatican II, which you don't consider binding, and the Ecumenical Directory of 1967, which you don't consider binding, and the New Mass, which you don't consider binding, that when it comes to Episcopal consecration, all of a sudden, his words are binding, and they can overthrow the decree of Pope Pius Twelfth. So you will follow Paul VI when it suits you, but not when it doesn't? If that's what you want to do, if that's your theology, you will follow that theology at your own risk. 
And with that, we have come to the end of Tratcast 35. Thank you everyone for sticking around. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.